Chapter Four of the White Linen Nurse by Eleanor Hallowell Abbott. The Slippervox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Marianne. Like a train traveller coming out of a long, smoky, smotherly tunnel into the clean-tasting light, the White Linen Nurse came out of the prudish-smelling hospital into the riotous, mud-and-posy promise of the young April afternoon. The god of hysteria had certainly not deserted her. In all the full effervescence reaction of her brainstorm, fairly bubbling with dimples, fairly foaming with curls, light-footed, light-hearted, and most ecstatically light-headed, she tripped down into the sunshine as though the great, harsh granite steps that marked her descent were nothing more nor less than a gigantic, old, horny-fingered hand passing her blithely out into some deliciously unknown Lilliputian adventure. As she pranced across the soggy April sidewalk to what she supposed was the senior surgeon's perfectly empty automobile, she became conscious, suddenly, that the rear seat of the car was already occupied. Out from an unseasonable snuggle of sable furs and flaming red hair, a small, peevish face peered forth at her with frank curiosity. "'Why, hello,' beamed the white-linen nurse. "'Who are you?' With unmistakable hostility, the haughty little face retreated into its furs and its red hair. "'Hush!' commanded the shrill, childish voice. "'Hush, I say. I'm a cripple. I'm very bad-tempered. Don't speak to me.' "'Oh, my glory!' gasped the white-linen nurse. "'Oh, my glory! Glory, glory!' Without any warning whatsoever, she felt suddenly like nothing at all rigged out in an exceedingly shabby old ulster and an excessively homely black slouch hat. In a desperate attempt at tangible tomboyish nonchalance, she tossed her head and thrust her hands down deep into her big ulster pockets. That the bleak hat reflected no decent featherish consciousness of being tossed, that the big threadbare pockets had no bottoms to them, merely completed her startled sense of having been in some way blotted right out of existence. Behind her back the senior surgeon's huge fur-coated approach dawned blissfully like the thud of a rescue party. But if the senior surgeon's blunt, wholesome invitation to ride had been perfectly sweet when he prescribed it for her in the superintendent's office, the invitation had certainly soured most amazingly in the succeeding ten minutes. Abruptly now, without any greeting, he reached out and opened the rear door of the car, and nodded curtly for her to enter there. Instantly across the face of the little crippled girl already ensconced in the tenue, a single flash of light went zigzagging crookedly from brow to chin, and was gone again. "'Hello, fat father,' piped the shrill little voice. "'Hello, fat father.' Yet so subtly was the phrase mouthed, to save your soul you could not have proved just where the greeting ended and the taunt began. There was nothing subtle, however, about the way in which the senior surgeon's hand shot out and slammed the tonneau door, bang-bang, again on its original passenger. His face was crimson with anger. Brusquely he pointed to the front seat. "'You may sit in there, with me, Miss MacGregor,' he thundered. "'Yes, sir,' crooned the white linen nurse. Meek as an oiled machine, she scuttled to her appointed place. Once more in smothered giggle and unprotesting acquiescence, she sensed the resumption of eternal discipline. 
Already in just this trice of time she felt her rampant young mouth resettle tamely into lines of smug, determinate serenity. Already across her idle lap she felt her clasped fingers begin to frost and tingle again, like a cheerfully non-concerned bunch of live wires waiting the one authoritative signal to connect somebody, anybody, with this world or the next. Already the facile tip of her tongue seemed fairly loaded and cocked, like a revolver with all the appropriate yes-sirs, no-sirs, that she thought she should probably need. But the only immediate remarks that the senior surgeon addressed to anyone were addressed distinctly to the crank of his automobile. "'Damn having a chauffeur who gets drunk the one day of the year when you need him most,' he muttered under his breath, as with the same exquisitely sensitive fingers that could have dissected like a caress the nervous system of a hummingbird, or reset unbruisingly the broken wing of a butterfly, he hurled his hundred and eighty pounds of infuriate brute strength against the calm, chronic, mechanical stubbornness of that auto-crank. "'Damn!' he swore on the upward pull. "'Damn!' he gasped again on the downward push. "'Damn!' he cursed and sputtered and spluttered. Purple with effort, bulging-eyed with strain, reeking with sweat, his frenzied outburst would have terrorized the entire hospital staff. With an odd little twinge of homesickness, the white linen nurse slid cautiously out to the edge of her seat, so that she might watch the struggle better. For thus, with dripping foreheads, and knotted neck muscles, and breaking backs, and rankly tempestuous language, did the untutored menfolk of her own beloved homeland hurl their great strength against bulls and boulders, and refractory forest trees. Very startlingly, as she watched, a brand new thought went zigzagging through her consciousness. Was it possible, was it even so much as remotely possible, that the great senior surgeon, the great, wonderful, altogether formidable, altogether unapproachable senior surgeon, was just a, was just a, stripped ruthlessly of all his social superiority, of all his professional halo, of all his scientific achievement, the senior surgeon stood suddenly forth before her, a mere man, just like other men, just exactly like other men, like the sick drug clerk, like the newborn millionaire baby, like the doddering old Dutch gaffer. The very delicacy of such a thought drove the blood panic-stricken from her face, it was the indelicacy of the thought that brought the blood surging back again to brows, to cheeks, to lips, even to the tips of her ears. Glancing up casually from the roar and rumble of his abruptly repentant engine, the senior surgeon swore once more under his breath to think that any female sitting perfectly idle and non-concerned in a seven-thousand-dollar car should have the nerve to flaunt such a furiously strenuous color. Bristling with resentment and mink furs, he strode around the fender and stumbled with increasing irritation across the white linen nurse's knees to his seat. Just for an instant, his famous fingers seemed to flash with apparent inconsequence towards one bit of mechanism and another. Then, like a huge, portentous pill floated on smoothest syrup, the car slid down the yawning street into the congested city. Altogether monotonously, in terms of pain and dirt and drug and disease, the city wafted itself in and out of the white linen nurse's well-grooved consciousness. 
From every filthy street corner, sodden age or starved babyhood reached out its fluttering pulse to her. Then, suddenly sweet as a draught through a fever-tainted room, the squalid city freshened into jocund, luxurious suburbs, with rollicking tennis courts and flaming yellow forsythia blossoms, and green velvet lawns prematurely posied with pale exotic hyacinths and great scarlet splotches of lusty tulips. Beyond this hectic horticultural outburst, the leisurely spring faded out again into April's naturally sallow colors. Glossy and black as an endless typewriter ribbon, the narrow, tense state road seemed to wind itself everlastingly in, and in, and in, on some hidden spool of the car's mysterious mechanism. Clickety-click-click-clack, faster than any human mind could think faster than any human hand could finger, hurtling up hazardous hills of thought, sliding down facile valleys of fancy, roaring with emphasis, shrieking with punctuation, the great car yielded itself perforce to fate's dictation. Robbed successively of the city's humanitarian pang, of the suburb's aesthetic pleasure, the white linen nurse found herself precipitated suddenly into a mere blur of sight, a mere chaos of sound. In whizzing speed and crashing breeze, houses, fences, meadows, people, slapped across her eyeballs like pictures on a fan. On and on and on, through kaleidoscope yellows and rushing greys, the great car sped, a purely mechanical factor in a purely mechanical landscape. Rigid with concentration, the senior surgeon stared like a dead man into the intrepid, oncoming road. Intermittently from her green, plushy lap-robes, the crippled child struggled to her feet, and sprawling clumsily across whosever shoulder suited her best, raised a brazenly innocent voice, deliberately flatted, in a shrill and maddeningly repetitive chant of her own making, to the effect that, All the birds were there, with yellow feathers instead of hair, and bumblebees crocheted in the trees, and bumblebees crocheted in the trees. All the birds were there, and, and, Intermittently from the front seat the senior surgeon's wooden face relaxed to the extent of a grim mouth twisting distractedly sideways in one furious bellow. "'Will you stop your noise and go back to your seat?' Nothing else happened at all until at last, out of unbroken stretches of winter-staled stubble, a high, formal hemlock hedge and a neat, pebbled driveway proclaimed the senior surgeon's ultimate destination. Cautiously now, with an almost tender skill, the big car circled in a tiny, venturesome clump of highway violets, and crept through a prancing, leaping fluff of yellow collie-dogs to the door of the big stone house. Instantly, from inestimable resources, a liveried serving-man appeared to help the senior surgeon from his car another to take the senior surgeon's coat, another to carry his bag. Lingering for an instant to stretch his muscles and shake his great shoulders, the senior surgeon breathed into his cramped lungs a friendly impulse as well as a scent of budding cherry trees. "'You may come in with me, if you want to, Miss MacGregor,' he conceded. "'It's an extraordinary case. You will hardly see another one like it.' Palpably he lowered his already almost indistinguishable voice. "'The boy is young,' he confided. "'About your age, I should guess. 
a college football hero, the most superbly perfect specimen of young manhood it has ever been my privilege to behold. It will be a long case. They have two nurses already, but would like another. The work ought not to be hard. Now, if they should happen to fancy you— in speechless expressiveness his eyes swept estimatingly over sun-parlors, stables, garages, Italian gardens, rapturous blue-shadowed mountain views, every last intimate detail of the mansion's wonderful equipment. Like a drowning man feeling his last floating spar wrenched away from him, the white-linen nurse dug her fingernails frantically into every reachable wrinkle and crevice of the heavily upholstered seat. "'Oh, but, sir—' "'I don't want to go in,' she protested passionately. "'I tell you, sir, I'm quite done with all that sort of thing. "'It would break my heart. It would. "'Oh, sir, this worrying about people for whom you've got no affection, "'it's like sledding without any snow. "'It grits right down on your naked nerves. "'It—' "'Before the senior surgeon's glowering, incredulous stare, "'her heart began to plunge and pound again.' but it plunged and pounded no harder, she realized suddenly, than when in the calm, white hospital precincts she was obliged to pass his terrifying presence in the corridor and murmur an audible good morning or good evening. After all, he's nothing but a man, nothing but a man, nothing but a mere, ordinary, two-legged man. She reasoned over and over to herself. With a really desperate effort, she smoothed her frightened face into an expression of utter guilelessness and peace, and smiled unflinchingly right into the senior surgeon's rousing anger, as she had once seen an animal trainer smile into the snarl of a crouching tiger. "'Thank you very much,' she said. "'But I think I won't go in, sir. Thank you. My—my face is still pretty tired.' "'Idiot!' snapped the senior surgeon as he turned on his heel and started up the steps." From the green plushy robes on the back seat, the white linen nurse could have sworn that she heard a sharply ejaculated, maliciously joyful, Ha! piped out. But when both she and the senior surgeon turned sharply round to make sure, the little crippled girl, in apparently complete absorption, sat amiably extracting tuft after tuft of fur from the thumb of one big sable glove, to the rumbling, sing-song monotone of, He loves me! loves me not, loves me, loves me not. Bristling with unutterable contempt for all femininity, the senior surgeon proceeded up the steps between two solemn-faced lackeys. Father, wailed a feeble little voice. Father! There was no shrillness in the tone now, nor malice, nor any mischievous thing. Just desolation, the impulsive, panic-stricken desolation of a little child left suddenly alone with a stranger. "'Father!' the frightened voice uttered forth a tiny bit louder, but the unheeding senior surgeon had already reached the piazza. "'Fat father!' screamed the little voice. Barbed now like a shark-hook, the phrase ripped through the senior surgeon's dormant sensibilities. As one fairly yanked out of his thoughts, he whirled around in his tracks. "'What do you want?' he thundered. Helplessly, the little girl sat staring from a lackey's ill-concealed grin to her father's smoldering fury. Quite palpably, she began to swallow with considerable difficulty. Then, quick as a flash, a diminutively crafty smile crooked across one corner of her mouth. 
Father, she improvised dulcetly, Father, may I sit in the white linen nurse's lap? For just an instant, the senior surgeon's narrowing eyes probed mercilessly into the reekingly false little smile. Then altogether brutally he shrugged his shoulders. I don't care where in blazes you sit, he muttered, and went on into the house. With an air of unalterable finality, the massive oak door closed after him. In the resonant click of its latch, the great wrought-iron lock seemed to smack its lips with ineffable satisfaction. Ringing suddenly round with a wish of starched skirts, the white-linen nurse knelt up in her seat and grinned at the little crippled girl. "'Ha! Yourself!' she said. Against all possible expectancy, the little crippled girl burst out laughing. The laugh was wild, ecstatic, extravagantly boisterous, yet awkward withal, and indescribably bumpy, like the first flight of a cage-cramped bird. Quite abruptly the white-linen nurse sat down again, and commenced nervously with the wrist of her chamois glove to polish the slightly tarnished brass lamp at her elbow. Equally abruptly, after a minute, she stopped polishing and looked back at the little crippled girl. Would you like to sit in my lap? she queried conscientiously. Insolent with astonishment, the little girl parried the question. Why in blazes should I want to sit in your lap? she quizzed harshly. Every accent of her voice, every remotest intonation, was like the senior surgeon's at his worst. The suddenly forked eyebrow, the snarling twitch of the upper lip, turned the whole delicate little face into a grotesque but desperately unconscious caricature of the grim-jawed father. As though the father himself had snubbed her for some unimaginable familiarity, the white-linen nurse winced back in hopeless confusion. Just for sheer shock, short-circuited with fatigue, a big tear rolled suddenly down one pink cheek. Instantly, to the edge of her seat, the little girl jerked herself forward. "'Don't cry, pretty,' she whispered. "'Don't cry. It's my legs. I've got fat iron braces on my legs, and people don't like to hold me.' Half the professional smile came flashing back to the white linen nurse's mouth. "'Oh, I just adore holding people with iron braces on their legs,' she affirmed, and, leaning over the back of the seat, proceeded with absolutely perfect mechanical tenderness to gather the poor, puny, surprised little body into her own strong, shapely arms, then dutifully snuggling her shoulder to meet the stubborn little shoulder that refused to snuggle to it, and dutifully easing her knees to suit the stubborn little knees that refused to be eased, she settled down resignedly into her seat again to await the return of the senior surgeon. There, there, there she began quite instinctively to croon and pat. "'Don't say there, there,' wailed the little girl peevishly. Her body was suddenly stiff as a ramrod. "'Don't say there, there. If you've got to make any noise at all, say, here, here.' "'Here, here,' droned the white-linen nurse. "'Here, here, here, here. On and on, and interminably on. Here, 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 here.' At the end of about the three hundred and forty-seventh here, the little girl's body relaxed, and she reached up two fragile fingers to close the white linen nurse's mouth. There, that will do, she sighed contentedly. I feel better now. Father does tire me so. 
Father Tyers, you? gasped the white linen nurse. The giggle that followed the gasp was not in the remotest degree professional. Father Tyers, you? she repeated accusingly. Why, you silly little girl, can't you see it's you that makes father so everlastingly tired? Impulsively with her one free hand she turned the little girl's listless face to the light. What makes you call your nice father, fat father? she asked with real curiosity. What makes you? He isn't fat at all. He's just big. Why, whatever possesses you to call him fat father, I say, can't you see how mad it makes him? Why, of course it made him mad, said the little girl, with plainly reviving interest. Thrilled with astonishment at the white linen nurse's apparent stupidity, she straightened up perkily with inordinately sparkling eyes. Why, of course it makes him mad, she explained briskly. That's why I do it. Why, my papa never even looks at me unless I make him mad. Shh, said the white linen nurse. Why, you mustn't ever say a thing like that. Why, your marma wouldn't like you to say a thing like that. Jerking bumpily back against the white linen nurse's unprepared shoulder, the little girl prodded a pallid fingertip into the white linen nurse's vivid cheek. Silly, pink and white, nursey, she chuckled. Don't you know there isn't any marma? Cackling with delight over her own superior knowledge, she folded her little arms and began to rock herself convulsively to and fro. "'Why, stop!' cried the white-linen nurse. "'Now you stop. Why, you wicked little creature, laughing like that about your poor dead mother! Why, just think how bad it would make your poor papa feel!' With instant sobriety the little girl stopped rocking, and stared perplexedly into the white-linen nurse's shocked eyes. Her own little face was all wrinkled up with earnestness. But the parpa didn't like the marma, she explained painstakingly. The parpa never liked the marma. That's why he doesn't like me. I heard Cook telling the Iceman once when I wasn't more than ten minutes old. Desperately, with one straining hand, the white linen nurse stretched her fingers across the little girl's babbling mouth. Equally desperately, with the other hand, she sought to divert the little girl's mind by pushing the fur cap back from her frizzy red hair, and loosening her sumptuous coat, and jerking down vainly across two painfully obtrusive white ruffles, the awkwardly short, hideously bright little purple dress. "'I think your cap is too hot,' she began casually, and then proceeded with increasing vivacity and conviction to the objects that worried her the most. "'And those—' Those ruffles, she protested, they don't look a bit nice being so long. Resentfully she rubbed an edge of the purple dress between her fingers. And a little girl like you, with such bright red hair, oughtn't to wear purple, she admonished with real concern. Now whites and blues, and little soft pussycat grays. Mumblingly through her finger-muzzled mouth the little girl burst into explanations again. Oh, but when I wear gray, she persisted, the papa never sees me, but when I wear purple he cares, he cares, most awfully, she boasted with a bitter sort of triumph. Why, when I wear purple and frizz my hair hard enough, no matter who's there or anything, he'll stop right off short in the middle of whatever he's doing, and rear right up so perfectly beautiful and mad and glorious, and holler right out, for heaven's sake, 
Take that colored Sunday supplement away. Your father's nervous, suggested the white linen nurse. Almost tenderly, the little girl reached up and drew the white linen nurse's ear close down to her own snuggling lips. Damned nervous, she confided laconically. Quite against all intention, the white linen nurse giggled. Floundering to recover her dignity, she plunged into a new air. Poor little dev, she began. Yes, sighed the little girl complacently. That's just what the papa calls me. Fervidly she clasped her little hands together. Yes, if I can only make him mad enough daytimes, she asserted. Then at night, when he thinks I'm all asleep, he comes and stands by my cribby house, like a great black shadow bear, and shakes and shakes his most beautiful head and says, Poor little devil, poor little devil. Oh, if I can only make him mad enough daytimes, she cried out ecstatically. Why, you naughty little thing, scolded the white linen nurse with an unmistakable catch in her voice. Why, you naughty, naughty little thing. Like the brush of a butterfly's wing, the child's hand grazed the white linen nurse's cheek. I'm a lonely little thing, she confided wistfully. Oh, I'm an awfully lonely little thing. With really shocking abruptness, the old malicious smile came twittering back to her mouth. But I'll get even with the parpa yet, she threatened joyously, reaching out with pliant fingers to count the buttons on the white linen nurse's dress. Oh, I'll get even with the parpa yet. In the midst of the passionate assertion, her rigid little mouth relaxed in a most mild and innocent yawn. Oh, of course, she yawned. On wash days and ironing days, and every other work day in the week, he has to be away cutting up people, cause that's his lawful business. But Sundays, when he doesn't really need to at all, he goes off to some kind of a green, grassy club, all day long, and plays golf. Very palpably, her eyelids began to droop. Where was I? she asked sharply. Oh, yes, the green, grassy club. Well, when I die, she faltered. I'm going to die specially on some Sunday when there's a big golf game, so he'll just naturally have to give it up and stay home and amuse me and help arrange the flowers. The papa's crazy about flowers. So am I, she added broodingly. I raised almost a geranium once, but the papa threw it out. It was a good geranium, too. All it did was just to drip the tiniest, teeniest bit over a book and a writing and somebody's brains in a dish. He threw it at a cat. It was a good cat, too. All it did was to... A little jerkily, her drooping head bobbed forward, and then back again. Her heavy eyes were almost tight shut by this time, and after a moment's silence, her lips began moving dumbly, like one at silent devotions. I'm making a little poem now, she confided at last. It's about you and me. It's a sort of a little prayer. Very, very softly she began to repeat. Now I sit me down to nap, all curled up in a nurse's lap, if she should die before I wake. Abruptly she stopped and stared up suspiciously into the white linen nurse's eyes. Ha! she mocked. You thought I was going to say, if I should die before I wake, didn't you? Well, I'm not. It would have been more generous, acknowledged the white linen nurse. 
Very stiffly the little girl pursed her lips. "'It's plenty generous enough, when it's all done,' she said severely. "'And I'll thank you, Miss Malgregor, not to interrupt me again.' With excessive deliberateness she went back to the first line of her poem, and began all over again. "'Now I sit me down to nap, all curled up in a nurse's lap. If she should die before I wake, give her, give her ten cents, for Jesus' sake.' "'Why, that's a—a a cunning little prayer,' yawned the white-linen nurse. Most certainly, of course, she would have smiled if the yawn hadn't caught her first. But now, in the middle of the yawn, it was a great deal easier to repeat the very cunning than to force her lips into any new expression. "'Very cunning, very cunning,' she kept crooning conscientiously. Modestly, like some other successful authors, the little girl flapped her eyelids languidly open and shut for three or four times, before she acknowledged the compliment. "'Oh, cunning as any of she admitted off-handedly. Only once again did she open either mouth or eyes, and this time it was merely one eye and half a mouth. "'Do my fat iron braces hurt you?' she mumbled drowsily. "'Yes, a little.' conceded the white-linen nurse. Ha! They hurt me all the time, gibbed the little girl. Five minutes later, the child who didn't particularly care about being held, and the girl who didn't particularly care about holding her, were fast asleep in each other's arms. A naughty, nagging, restive little hornet all hushed up and a dream in the heart of a pink wild rose. Stalking out of the house in his own due time, the senior surgeon reared back aghast at the sight. "'Well, I'll be hanged,' he muttered. "'Most everlastingly hanged. Wonder what they think this is. A somnolent kindergarten show? Talk about fiddling while Rome burns.' Awkwardly, on the top step, he struggled alone into his cumbersome coat. Every tingling nerve in his body— Every shuddering sensibility was racked to its utmost capacity over the distressing scenes he had left behind him in the big house. Back in that luxuriant sick-room, youth incarnate lay stripped, root, branch, leaf, bud, blossom, fruit, all of its manhood's promise. Back in that erudite library, culture personified, robbed of all its fine philosophy, sat babbling illiterate street curses into its quivering hands. Back in that exquisite pink and gold boudoir, blonded fashion, ravished for once of all its artistry, ran stumbling round and round in interminable circles like a disheveled hag, in shrill crescendos and discordant basses, with heart-piercing jaggedness, with blood-curdling raspishness, each one, boy, father, mother, meddlesome relative, competent or incompetent assistant, indiscriminate servant, filing his separate sorrow into the senior surgeon's tortured ears. With one of those sudden revulsions to materialism, which is liable to overwhelm any man who delves too long at a time in the brutally unconventional issues of life and death, the senior surgeon stepped down into the subtle, hyacinth-scented sunshine with every latent human greed in his body clamoring for expression, before it, too, should be hurtled into oblivion. Eat, you fool, and drink, you fool, and be merry, you fool. For to-morrow, even you, Lendicott R. Faber, may have to die. Bald and rebald through his mind, like a ribald phonograph tune, 
at the edge of the bottom step a precipitous lilac branch that must have budded and bloomed in a single hour smote him stingingly across the cheek laggard taunted the lilac branch with the first crunching grit of gravel under his feet something transcendently naked and unashamed that was neither brazen sorrow nor brazen pain thrilled across his startled consciousness over the rolling marshy meadow beyond the succulent willow hedge that hid the winding river up from some fluent slim canoe out from a chorus of virile young tenor voices a little passionate love song divinely tender most incomparably innocent came stealing palpitantly forth into that inflammable spring world without a single vestige of accompaniment on it kiss me sweet the spring is here and love is lord of you and me there's no bird in brake or brier but to his little mate sings he kiss me sweet the spring is here and love is lord of you and me wrenched like a sob out of his own lost youth the senior surgeon's faltering college memories took up the old refrain as i go singing to my dear kiss me sweet the spring is here and love is lord of you and me just for an instant a dozen long-forgotten pictures lanced themselves poignantly into his brain dingy uncontrovertible old recitation rooms where young ideas flashed bright and futile as parade swords elm-shaded slopes where lithe young bodies rolled on velvet-green grass to expound their harshest cynicisms book history book science book economics book love all the paper passion of all the paper poets swaggering imperiously on boyish lips that would have died a thousand bashful deaths before the threatening imminence of a real girl's kiss magic days with youth the one glittering positive treasure on the tree of life and woman still a mystery woman a mystery harshly the phrase ripped through the senior surgeon's brain croakingly in that instant all the grim gray scientific years re-overtook him swamped him strangled him woman a mystery o oh, ye gods and youth bah youth a mere tinsel tinkle on a rotting christmas tree furiously with renewed venom he turned and threw his weight again upon the stubbornly resistant crank of his automobile vaguely disturbed by the noise and vibration the white linen nurse opened her big drowsy blue eyes upon him don't jerk it so she admonished hazily you'll wake the little girl well and what about my convenience i'd like to know snapped the senior surgeon in some astonishment heavily the white linen nurse's lashes shadowed down again across her sleep-flushed cheeks oh never mind about that she mumbled nonconcernedly oh for heaven's sake wake up there bellowed the senior surgeon above the sudden roar of his engine adroitly for a man of his bulk he ran around the radiator and jumped into his seat joggled unmercifully into wakefulness the little girl greeted his return with a generous if distinctly non-tactful demonstration of affection grabbing the unwitting fingers of his momentarily free hand she tapped them proudly against the white linen nurse's plump pink cheek see i call her peach she boasted joyously with all the triumphant air of one who felt assured that mental discrimination such as this 
could not possibly fail to impress even a person so naturally obtuse as a father. "'Don't be foolish,' snarled the senior surgeon. "'Who, me?' gasped the white-linen nurse in perfect agony of confusion. "'Yes, you,' snapped the senior surgeon explosively, half an hour later, after interminable miles of absolute silence, and dingy yellow field stubble, and bare brown alder bushes. Truly out of the aesthetic habit of his daily life, where no rain was, as the Bible would put it, it did seem to him distinctly foolish, not to say careless, not to say out-and-out out incendiary, for any girl to go blushing her way like a firebrand through a world so palpably populated by young men whose heads were tow, and hearts indisputably tender, rather than tender. "'Yes, you,' he reasserted vehemently at the end of another silent mile. Then, plainly begrudging this second inexcusable interruption of his most vital musings concerning spinal meningitis, he scowled his way savagely back again into his own grimly established trend of thought. Excited by so much perfectly good silence that nobody seemed to be using, the little crippled girl ventured gallantly forth once more into the hazardous conversational land of grown-ups. "'Father?' she experimented cautiously, with most commendable discretion. Fathoms deep in abstraction, the senior surgeon stared unheedingly into the whizzing black road. Pulses and temperatures and blood pressures were seething in his mind and sharp sticks and jagged stones and the general possibilities of a puncture, and murmurs of the heart and rails of the lungs, and the most unaccountable knock-knock-knocking in the engine, and the probable relation of middle ear disease, and the perfectly positive symptoms of optic neuritis, and a damn funny squeak in the steering gear. "'Father?' the little girl persisted valiantly. To add to his original concentration, the senior surgeon's linen collar began to chafe him maddeningly under his chin. The annoyance added two scowls to his already blackly furrowed face, and at least ten miles an hour to his running time, but nothing whatsoever to his conversational ability. "'Father,' the little girl whimpered with faltering courage. Then panic-stricken, as wiser people have been before her, over the dreadful spookish remoteness of a perfectly normal human being who refuses either to answer or even to notice your wildest efforts at communication, she raised her waspish voice in its shrillest, harshest war-cry. "'Fat father! Fat father! Fat father!' she screeched out frenziedly at the top of her lungs. The gunshot agony of a wounded rabbit was in the cry, the last gurgling gasp of strangulation under a murderer's reeking fingers, catastrophe unspeakable disaster now irrevocable. Clamping down his brakes with a wrench that almost tore the insides out of his engine, the senior surgeon brought the great car to a staggering standstill. "'What is it?' he cried in real terror. "'What is it?' Limply the little girl stretched down from the white linen nurse's nap till she could nick her toe against the shiniest woodwork in sight. Altogether aimlessly, her small chin began to burrow deeper and deeper into her big fur collar. "'For heaven's sake, what do you want?' demanded the senior surgeon. Even yet, along his spine, the nerves crinkled with shock and apprehension. "'For heaven's sake, what do you want?' Helplessly, the child lifted her turbid eyes to his. 
With unmistakable appeal, her tiny hand went clutching out at one of the big buttons on his coat. Desperately, for an instant, she rummaged through her brain for some remotely adequate answer to this most thunderous question, and then retreated precipitously, as usual, to the sacristy of her own imagination. "'All the birds were there, father,' she confided guilelessly. "'All the birds were there, with yellow feathers instead of hair, and bumblebees crocheted in the trees, and—' Short of complete annihilation— there was no satisfying vengeance whatsoever that the senior surgeon's exploding passion could wreck upon his offspring. Complete annihilation being unfeasible at the moment, he merely climbed laboriously out of the car, recranked the engine, climbed laboriously back into his place, and started on his way once more. All the red blustering rage was stripped completely from him. Startlingly rigid, startlingly white, his face was like the death-mask of a pirate. Pleasantly excited by, she didn't know exactly what, the little girl resumed her beloved falsetto chant, rhythmically all the while with her puny iron-braced legs beating the tune into the white-linen nurse's tender flesh. All the birds were there, with yellow feathers instead of hair, and bumblebees crocheted in the trees, and, and, all the birds were there, with yellow feathers instead of hair, and— Frenzied as a runaway horse trying to escape from its own pursuing harness and carriage, the senior surgeon poured increasing speed into both his own pace and the pace of his tormentor. Uphill, down dale, screeching through rocky echoes, swishing through blue-green spruce-lands, dodging indomitable boulders, grazing lax, treacherous embankments, the great car scuttled homeward, huddled behind its steering-wheel like a warrior behind his shield, every body-muscle taut with strain, every facial muscle diabolically calm, the senior surgeon met and parried successively each fresh onslaught of yard, rod, mile. Then suddenly, in the first precipitous descent of a mighty hill, the whole earth seemed to drop out from under the car. Down! Down, down, with incredible swiftness and smoothness, the great machine went diving toward abysmal space. Up, 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 with incredible bumps and bouncings, trees, bushes, stone walls went rushing to the sky. Gasping surprisedly towards the senior surgeon, the white linen nurse saw his grim mouth yank round abruptly in her direction, as it yanked sometimes in the operating room with some sharp, incisive order of life or death. Instinctively she leaned forward for the message. Not over loud, but strangely distinct, the words slapped back into her straining ears. If it will rest your face any, to look scared, by all means, do so. I've lost control of the machine, called the senior surgeon sardonically across the roar of the wind. The phrase excited the white linen nurse, but it did not remotely frighten her. She was not in the habit of seeing the senior surgeon lose control of any situation. Merely intoxicated with speed, delirious with ozone, she snatched up the little girl close to her breast. "'We're flying!' she cried. "'We're dropping from a parachute. We're—' Swooping like a sled, striking glare-level ice, the great car swerved from the bottom of the hill into a soft rolling meadow. Instantly from every conceivable direction— like foes in ambush, trees, 
stumps, rocks reared up in threatening defiance. Tighter and tighter the white linen nurse crushed the little girl to her breast. Louder and louder she called in the little girl's ear. Scream, she shouted. There might be a bump. Scream louder than a bump. Scream, scream, scream. In that first overwhelming, nerve-numbing, heart-crunching terror of his whole life, as the great car tilted up against a stone, plowed down into the mushy edge of a marsh, and skidded completely round, crash-bang, into a tree. It was the last sound that the senior surgeon heard, the sound of a woman and child screeching their lungs out in diabolical exultancy. End of chapter 4